Uh, we're continuing in our fall campaign called Be the Church. Remember, we're rediscovering why we're here. The church was created on purpose for a purpose. God had a specific design, intention, timing when he initiated the church through Jesus. Remember, Jesus said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we know that God is behind this movement that is the church. And I believe the church is uh, the most powerful thing in the world. Um, it is through the church that salvation is presented to the world. You may not know it, you probably do, but you're here in church. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus as Savior, you did that because someone who's a part of the church shared the gospel with you, right? And they, they uh, shared with you what God had done with, uh, for you through Jesus and how you could experience forgiveness of your sins and you could be uh, part of a community of believers of followers of Jesus, and you could uh, do things with your life that would change the world for all eternity. And so we're here for a bigger purpose. We're a part of something that is uh, supernatural. It is a work of God, and it's so important. I love the church. I believe in the church. I've given my life, much of my life, to serve in the church, and it isn't just because I didn't have anything else to do or I couldn't do anything else, it's because I believe in what God's doing. I know that God's a part of this. And so as difficult as it is at times to see the church function as it should, okay? And, and a lot of times the reason it's not functioning is it, as it should is because I'm not functioning as I should, right? And so that's the truth of it. And so um, the real responsibility we have as followers of Jesus, is to be growing in him, to be growing in our faith, to grow to maturity so that the church is all that it can be. And yet, in spite of the fact that the church is made up of imperfect people, I know you're perfect, but your neighbor is not, right? I'm not perfect, so the church is made up of imperfect people. Let's just get that straight. Um, we're all in the same boat on that. We're sinners saved by grace. We have sin that we wrestle with. We're not there yet, okay? And yet, in spite of that, God works through his people to continue to accomplish his mission, which is to draw people to himself, to rescue people uh, from an eternity separated from God in hell. Rescue them out of that destiny into an eternity that will be spent in heaven with him. And so that's why we're here. The, the purpose of the church is to accomplish the mission of God. And so we want to be, as we look at this series, Be the Church, we're focused in on this, this mantra, which is we want to be healthy, unified, and firing on all cylinders. And so when we look at the engine that powers the church, kind of our metaphor, that's why we have all this stuff up here, right, um, is, is to, to focus in on that engine. And, and what we're saying is it's a six-cylinder engine that powers the church. And so we're looking at the different cylinders, one each week. And this is week four, where we look at the cylinder called fellowship. Uh, another word that describes it is together. And the truth is that God created Jesus when he initiated the church, right? When God created us as people, he created us to go through life connected to other people, to build deep connections that are profound and meaningful. That was God's intention. And so we got a statement of purpose here that goes with this cylinder, and I wanna read it for you, and then I'd like for us all to say it together. This is how it goes. <clears throat> Aware that we need each other, we put our differences aside, bonding together in the spirit, lovingly fostering unity with all our hearts. Can we say that together? It's up here on the screen. Let's say it together. 
aware that we need each other, we put our differences aside, bonding together in the spirit, lovingly fostering unity with all our hearts. So important that we're connected to other believers. Now, it's never been easy for people to get connected and stay connected. The church has always struggled with this one, with fellowship, because in the same way that I don't have it all together and you don't have it all together, we have tendencies as people, right? As sinners saved by grace, we have tendencies. And some of those tendencies cause us to have difficulty in being connected with each other and staying that way, building relationships. There's just uh, problems with that that we have. And we're going to look at some of those today. They're the enemies of fellowship. And so we're going to look at those because we need to be fighting against them and working uh, to uh, surrender ourselves to Jesus so that those things don't stop our fellowship. But fellowship is so powerful. It's the glue that keeps us together. It's what makes the church powerful is that we are connected to each other, working together to accomplish the mission. And yet it's difficult. And it has been from the beginning. Uh, There's a fellow by the name of Chuck Colson who has passed away now, but for much of my life was a strong leader in the church in America. And Chuck Colson came to prominence, became popular um, through a negative experience he went through, which was known, um, he was a part of what's known as Watergate, which for a lot of you, I know that was before you were born and all that stuff, but, um, but it was Nixon was the president back then. <laughs> You may have heard of him. And so Nixon was the president and he got caught in a scandal called Watergate and Chuck Colson was right in the middle of it. And he was working uh, for the administration and he was uh, ultimately incarcerated, uh, found guilty of, of crime inside of that. And so he spent some time in prison. While he was in prison, he became a follower of Jesus. And so his testimony is very powerful, and he became a prominent leader in America, really a national-level leader, started a prison uh, fellowship that ministered to prisoners and those incarcerated behind bars, was a powerful um, uh, leader. And he also authored some books, and one of those books is called The Body. It's a pretty thick book. He was a smart guy, but um, it's called The Body, and it, it talks about the church and what the church is about. And in that book... <clears throat> He references, or he writes this. It's a quote from that book about the importance of being a part of a church. He says this, Yet membership in a confessing body is fundamental to the Christian life. Failure to do so defies the explicit warning not to forsake our assembling together, as Hebrews says, Hebrews 10.25. His understanding of this prompted Martin Luther to say this, Apart from the church, Salvation is impossible. Not that the church provides salvation. God does that. But because the saved one can't fulfill what it means to be a Christian apart from the church. Membership then becomes the indispensable mark of salvation. So highly does the Lord esteem the communion of his church. Calvin wrote this, that he considers everyone a traitor an apostate from religion who perversely withdraws himself from any Christian society which preserves the true ministry of the word and sacraments. So those are two reformers 
Maybe you've heard of the, the Reformation, right, that reformed the church, sought to return the church back to what the Bible taught. We're part of that Protestant Reformation. <clears throat> and so here's two leaders in that Reformation, Martin Luther and John Calvin. You may not agree with everything that they taught or believed, right? But they were still instrumental in affecting who we are today. And they both expressed this important nature of being a part of a church. And yet, as I said, we know that this is difficult, because we have uh, troubles getting along and staying connected. And so we need to look at today, what is fellowship? And I want to start off by just looking at what the word means. You know, in the Greek language, which the Bible was written in, the New Testament was written in Greek, um, the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. In Acts chapter 2, if you follow along while I read a few verses, we get a taste of what this fellowship was all about. In the beginning of the church, it was initiated by Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, filled the believers, empowered them, and they began to grow and they began to um, meet together. And here's what Acts chapter 2 says about that fellowship or that group in the very beginning, starting in verse 44. Follow along while I read a few verses here. It says this, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their number or to their fellowship those who were being saved. This fellowship, this group of believers, was a powerful force. They were meeting together. They were sharing their resources, almost living kind of in a commune, right? And they were meeting every day for church, not just once a week. They were so excited about what was going on. And then not only did they meet together at the temple to worship, but they met in homes outside of that. They would meet together to share the Lord's Supper. And there was this dynamic thing happening as God just exploded onto the scene, onto the earth in, in the form of the church. And so here at Mitchell Berean, what we want to encourage to facilitate fellowship is life groups. So we encourage everybody to join a life group. Life groups allow you not just to sit in rows or us to sit in rows as a church like we do on the weekends, but to, to circle up and to connect with each other and to begin to develop relationships. It's through those interactions in a life group that we really build out what fellowship is. And so that's what we encourage here at Mitchell Berean. Every year in the fall, as we start our fall campaign, we say get in a life group, and we give new opportunities to do that. And then uh, in January, I usually mention it again. Hey, here's some opportunities to get in a life group. And we just want to encourage you to do that. And this is the reason why. Because you need to have Christian fellowship. You know, we have some groups here at Mitchell Berean that have been uh, groups for uh, some period of time, and they've had the chance to build some pretty deep relationships and I just want to share with you a couple of things that over the past few years, a couple of those groups have had the opportunity to walk through some difficult seasons with people in their, in their group. Mark and Jeannie Kaufman, their group, um, has had, um, uh, been able to walk alongside John and Kim Molko through a difficult season as John struggled with uh, brain cancer and then passed away. And Kim would say, man, that connection uh, in that group, those relationships were a lifeline to me. They kept me going through that difficult season. Uh, we have another group um, that's led by Pam and Ernie McLean, and their group has been together some time, and they've built close relationships. And 
Joe and Jamie Blanke are part of their group, and Joe this year received a cancer diagnosis. And if you were here the day he got baptized, maybe you saw that or heard his testimony of just entering a difficult season in life. He's a young, relatively young man. He wasn't expecting that, right? And yet he and Jamie have walked through this, and their life group has just been with, their, uh, with them each step of the way. And see, uh, that's the kind of support and encouragement that we need. And you're going to need that, and probably many of you could use that right now. Because you're entering or you're in a phase in time in life that's difficult. And you're, you don't have the support you need. And so your faith is struggling. You're not as strong spiritually as you could be. You don't walk through your day saying, who could I minister? Who could I help? How can I help others? You're walking through your day trying to survive and get through just what you're dealing with. And part of the reason for that, guys, is because we need support. We need support. We need encouragement. None of us were intended to do this on our own. And living the Christian life is altogether more difficult. You could just live according to your, your sin nature. That's easy, right? But you're called to live according to the Spirit, to the Holy Spirit. And that's more difficult. It's more challenging. And so we need that support and encouragement. We need that. You know, this early church in Acts, this week as I was preparing it, reminded me of a band I used to listen to back in the 80s. This band started like in the early 70s. And they were a bunch of hippies that were part of the hippie movement. And I don't know if you guys know this, but there was a, a God did a work in the late 60s, early 70s, where um, there was a movement that came out of the hippie movement called the Jesus Movement. And there were people, kids, really coming to Christ, getting saved out of that hippie lifestyle. And it was, it's really amazing to look at what God did there. But there was some rock music that came out of that called Christian rock. And it was really controversial at the time because uh, there were a lot of people that thought, drums and electric guitars and everything were of the devil, you know, and so there was this real uh, uh, difficulty with it. But here's a bunch of young people, you know, they're, they're in their late teens, early 20s, they're just doing what, what they know to do and they want to reach their friends and so they start playing uh, Christian rock. Well, there was a group called the Res Band that came out of that time period and I remember I, I got into listening to them a little bit when I was in high school. I liked Christian rock, you know, it gave me an alternative to the secular music that, uh, you know, had themes and stuff that, that I didn't believe in and I shouldn't be encouraged by, but Christian rock encouraged me. And so Res Band was led by a guy named Glenn Kaiser, who I actually ran into at a camp in Wisconsin and got to meet him, but uh, it was just one of the bands. And so this week I was reminiscing about them in that era uh, of my life. And, you know, it's funny that those guys initiated a group called the Jesus People, USA. If you look them up, you'll find them online. And they actually live together in a building in Chicago, communal style, and they minister to the poor, and they're still doing it. And so if you ever need to see an example of what happened in the book of Acts, living and breathing, it's happening right now in our country. Um, uh, that's not what God asks all of us to do and to be a part of, obviously, but it does still happen. Um, but we're called to this fellowship, this community, and it does need to include some things. As we look at this word koinonia, which is the word for fellowship in, in the New Testament, there's three ideas that help define what it means. And the first one is contribution, the word contribution, to give something to build up the group. And so in the Bible, in the Old Testament, God initiated with the nation of Israel the idea of tithing or making a financial contribution. And we see that continue into the New Testament church. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're called to, we're, we're asked to bring a tithe, bring a financial contribution to the group, to the church. And there's a reason for that, that is some of it's obvious, but really part of it is so that you will feel a part of the church that you attend. Because when you make a contribution, 
all of a sudden you feel a different attachment and connection to the fellowship. And so contribution is a big part of what it means to be a part of the church. Now, as the Jesus people do, they make a, a, a full commitment. The early church, they made a full commitment. Some of them sold everything they had and gave it, right? We're not necessarily asked to do that. You guys know the, um, the old story about the, the barnyard that heard there was, uh, the church was trying to put meals together for the poor, and they started uh, pooling, getting their minds together and figuring out what they could do, and there was the hen and the pig were talking one day about what they could do for this meal, and the hen said, hey, I got an idea we could do eggs and bacon. And the pig said, well, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. That's a great idea for you. For you, that would require a contribution. For me, it's a full commitment, uh, right? And so, so, yeah, you're not being asked to make, we're not asked to bring everything we have, okay? Um, but we are asked to bring uh, some and to make a contribution to the church uh, because that's God's work. And it's so important for us to do that. Because when we contribute, we feel connected. We're a part of the body. I notice when people talk about a church that they attend, they might say, well, they are doing this or that, right? They have this idea of, of you know, oh, they're gonna, they're gonna start Celebrate Recovery, right? But when someone is a part of a church and they feel connected, they say, we are starting Celebrate Recovery. We are gonna do Thanksgiving meals. And that's a big change in how I view the church that I attend. And I want you to say we, not they. And the way that you do that in part is to contribute. It's to, to play a role. The amount is not important, but it does matter for you to feel a part of the fellowship. Now, one of the principles about giving uh, to God, one of the reasons we struggle with this so much, is we're under this false illusion that everything we have is ours. You know what I'm talking about? Like if it's mine. So I own it, right? So we have a hard time sometimes giving that away. But the truth of what the Bible teaches us is that the things we have, we have because God has given them to us. That's an important distinction. Because when I know that God, who gave me everything I had, have, is asking me to give a little bit back to him, it's not that hard, right? It's not that hard. It's his anyway. Oh, thanks, God. You gave it to me. Oh, you want a little bit back? Okay. And, and we don't have a problem with it, but we struggle when we start to think all those things are ours. So uh, contributing, making a contribution is important. Secondly, the second word that helps describe fellowship, this word koinonia, is participation. Participation. That's involvement or taking part in what's happening. Participating in what's happening in the church is how you begin to feel connected. You feel you're part of the fellowship. It helps make this happen. Um, participation happens as we move we get off the bench, okay? We get off the sidelines and we get involved. That's really the way that we feel um, connected in the fellowship when we're participating in what's happening. That's why we encourage life groups to serve together. One of the ways that we have life groups serving together in our church is in our connections team, uh, the greeters and folks that help welcome you when you come in and hand you your bulletin and, and help new families get their kids into the children's program upstairs. Like those are life groups a lot of times serving together. And when you serve together, you feel connected. You feel more connected to that group. <clears throat> That's why it's so important. When I was in uh, high school, actually when I was coming up, I always had a desire to play basketball. I wanted to do that, but never quite found myself in a situation where I could uh, realize that dream, right, of playing basketball maybe for the school that I was attending. Moved around a bit, and so 
and I kind of lacked some discipline, you know, to practice enough, and I lacked uh, some skill, and I lacked uh, some other things, and so I never could quite get on a team, but my senior year in high school, my dad took a church up in Montana, this little town called Augusta, Montana, town about 400, and they had a little school there, and when I walked into school the first day, I was like, I was like 6'4", 180 pounds, okay? Wasn't a huge guy, but I was one of the bigger guys in school, and the, the kids there, the guys there immediately said, hey man, football starts in a week, and you're on the team, right? Because everybody plays here. So, I mean, all of a sudden I'm in a situation where I get the chance to do some things. And so football, I, you know, I, 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 it was okay. But uh, basketball came around. I was like, wow, I'm excited about that. And so I started to get my brother up uh, every morning about 4 o'clock. And we'd go to the gym and practice for a couple hours and trying to inc- improve my skills so I could actually play on the team. But in spite of all that effort, I spent most of the year on the bench, is the truth. Wasn't quite good enough, even in a small school. <laughs> even being a taller guy, right? They put me in every once in a while. But, uh, you know, I, I needed to develop. But the truth is, I was on the bench for most of that year, not because I wanted to be, right? But sadly, in the church, a lot of people spend time on the bench or on the sidelines because they're choosing to be. They think for some reason they don't have the skill or ability, and this is a place where you've got to have a certain level to be able to get in the game. And I just want you to know that's not the truth here. At Mitchell Breen, we've got places you can get involved and serve right now, no matter uh, how long you've been a Christian, no matter how much you know about the Bible, there's places to serve. And so we have an involvement culture, and we have places you can plug in right away, and we want to see that happen because you're gonna feel a part of the fellowship, you're gonna experience fellowship as you participate Things that your groups could do together. If you're part of a life group, again, being a part of the connection ministry or um, providing meals on Wednesday night for the Awana workers before Awana. Or we have a, a communion team that we're taking communion this weekend. There's folks to put that all together. You could be a part of that. There's so many ways that as a life group, you can participate together and serve together. And that's going to make you experience the fellowship in a more profound way. The third word that helps describe koinonia is sharing. And that is defined this way, allowing others to use what you have. You'll remember in that early church in Acts there, there were people that sold what they had. They gave it so that it could be used by others. And that's ultimately what is involved, sharing some of what I, ha- what I have with others. Again, the two life groups that my wife Mary and I lead, we are sharing, or we're serving together. We're sharing in a meal every time uh, we come together. So we have a meal together. Uh, the early church, they ate together and they prayed together. It's an important part of fellowship, right? And so thank God for that because I like eating and I like praying. And so that's good. We do those things together. And so as groups, we come together, we share some of what we have Um, And we also, as a group, are sharing some food, again, with the Awana program and with the college students and in different areas, we're doing that together. And so you you can find ways to share. Being a part of the meal ministry is a way to share what you have. We have a funeral team that helps put funerals together and we provide a meal for families and that's very important in serving them. And so being able to um, bring something, right, and being able to participate and then sharing in what you have. Those are the key components of fellowship. And if you and I are gonna experience that, if our church is gonna be firing on that cylinder and working the way it should, then we need to be engaged at that level. Well, there are some enemies 
of fellowship as well. And in order to have a strong church that's, that's firing on all cylinders, that's our engine, that's powering our churches, moving and working correctly, then we must defeat the enemies of fellowship. And we find those in Ephesians chapter four, verses two through seven. Follow along while I read this passage. It goes this way. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. The first enemy of fellowship is pride and selfish ambition. Maybe you heard the story of the salesman who figured out he could use pride to his advantage. He would go to an individual and say, hey, I've got something to share with you, an opportunity to share with you that none of your neighbors think you can afford. No? Okay. The pride the individual had would drive them to buy the product. Pride gets in our way. It causes us to do things that we maybe shouldn't do. James chapter 3, verse 16 says, For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there will find disorder and evil of every kind. The antidote to pride and selfishness, uh, a selfish ambition, are humility and gentleness. Humility and gentleness. Coming together, Henry Ford said, is a beginning. Staying together is, a, is progress. Working together is success. Building fellowship, building a community where we're not motivated by selfish ambition and pride, but we're motivated as we work together by love, by humility, by gentleness in how we handle each other. This is what will create the environment where fellowship can thrive. Pride and selfish ambition work against true fellowship. It doesn't pull us together. We don't trust each other. We have a sense of distrust for the people around us when that's the nature of the culture. But when we have love and humility and selflessness, then we are drawn together. We build relationship. Enemy number two of fellowship is a judgmental, critical spirit towards each other. That will kill fellowship. Um, Winston Churchill said being criticized is not a problem if you develop a positive way to deal with it, right? Critique is essential for improvement. Criticism is not. Criticism will not create improvement. It tears down improvement because it tears down the culture that you have. It tears down the connection that we have between each other. And when those connections are strong, we have power in what we're doing. So when we, when we allow ourselves to become critical and judgmental towards each other. We create a harsh, negative culture, and it will not allow unity to emerge. And so we need to learn as individuals not to walk uh, uh, through our church experience with a judgmental, critical spirit towards each other. Instead, the antidote to that, um, to a harsh, judgmental, critical culture, is love, which leads to patience and graciousness. And that leads to allowing us to make allowances for others' faults. Maybe it's easy for you to overlook the faults in someone else. Maybe it's easy for you not to get hung up or irritated by the faults that other people have. Faults 
are things that they do wrong that you do right. That's what faults are. And so we have a tendency, it's been said, to judge others' actions while we judge ourselves by our motives. And we know that our motives are good, right? But we're not sure about others. And so we have a tendency to be harsh with other people while we let ourselves off the hook. Patience, graciousness, allows us to make allowances to overlook other people's faults, where they fall short, where they're even offensive to us. And we can overlook that and be able to connect in spite of it. This is required. It's absolutely essential for fellowship to happen. When I'm patient with others, I show grace to others. That means favor. True love is not a uh, puppies and, and butterflies and you know, flowers. That's not true love. True love is tough. And it is, it's able to continue to care about another person even when they've hurt or offended me. Love is powerful. And so it must be part of the culture we're creating. The third enemy of fellowship is conflict, fighting. Now you may say, yeah, that seems obvious, pastor. Um, And yet the truth is oftentimes we gain a critical judgmental spirit which leads us to be irritated at each other. And pretty soon before we know it, we're fighting. Now we're human beings and we're gonna fight. The question is how do we deal with that? And how are we improving at our ability to play well with others. Are we growing at that? You know, as we get uh, further along in life, there should be less and less conflict around us. We should be starting and initiating fewer fights with other people. Uh, Churches that are full of fighting and conflict are just full of immature Christians. That's what it comes down to. Because as we grow in our faith, as we grow in maturity, we gain the ability not only to start fewer conflicts, okay, but we're actually able to bring peace to the environments we're in. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers, right? And so that is ultimately where God wants us to reside. Being in a place where we're able to navigate relationships well and not just not get in fights, but actually help bring peace and encourage harmony in the environment we're in. The antidote for conflict is working for unity. And that is work and it's hard. And foster, it is fostered by peace. So that's a spirit of peace that we have with each other. And that comes through the bond we have through the Holy Spirit. And so living life according to the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit produces in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Right? These are the things that the Holy Spirit creates in us. And those will create unity. They'll create a strong fellowship. And so ultimately we need to be growing in our walk with Jesus. The fourth enemy of fellowship is making majors out of the minors. In this passage in Ephesians, we see the Apostle Paul listing the primary beliefs that we hold to as Christians. He says there is one church, one Holy Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, right? All these things represent the things that we hold true. They're the core of our faith. Anything outside of that tends to be an ancillary or a minor a belief that we have. And so as we, as a church come together, we have different uh, things that are important to us when it comes to the Bible or doctrine or understanding of our faith. We have to be, have the ability to understand what the majors are and not make the minors into majors. Part of what um, makes us feel connected to a church is that association. And so um, we had some stickers made this week. These go good on the back of your phone or on your coffee mug or whatever. It just says, be the church. And uh, it can remind you throughout the week that you're connected to a fellowship, you're part of a body. 
I feel like there might be somebody here who has struggled to open themselves up to real relationships, to build real relationships, real fellowship. And I just want to say to you that don't allow anything to stop you from that. Risk once again. Take a step again to build relationships. You may have been hurt in the past. You may have struggled with that because of things that have gone on. You felt harshly judged by somebody. Listen, uh, there's a new day and there's a new opportunity. And so I just want to encourage you not to give up on that. It's so important that we are growing in our fellowship as a church. It's how we will continue to move forward to accomplish what God has for us. God, thanks for your goodness to us and for the calling you place on our lives, the challenge that you put before us to become a part of your church, to connect with other believers, and to build bonds that are strong. Father, I pray that you would help us as we grow to be able to do that, that you would change and transform our hearts and allow us to learn what it means to really be connected to others. God, would you continue to grow in us our desire to risk fellowship. Father, help us to put aside the, the, the things that have happened to us in the past, the struggles we have. God, I pray that somebody here today would once again make a decision to step into relationships with others. God, would you do that in us? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.